You know what? No more excuses. I will willingly choose God's fame above my own. I will stop acting as if I am the center of the world. I will look at my apathy straight in the face and demand that it leave. No more excuses. I will both admit my addictions and cry out to the healer. I will refuse to allow the enemy to continue stealing my joy. I will stop worrying about what everyone around me is thinking. No more excuses. I will turn my heart back again. I will listen hard to the whispers of his spirit, and I will proclaim the wonders of his never-ending love. No more excuses. No games. No pretending. No hiding. No dead religion. No more excuses. Period. Amen. No more excuses. Well, this is the series we're into. This is week number three. And during this series, we're going to look at six common excuses. They're destructive patterns and the best defense to erasing this excuse, these excuses. The six excuses are, I can't forgive them. I can't give more. I can't tell that. I can't change now. I can't commit to one more thing. And I can't ask God for that. Everywhere we look, every place we go, every conversation we hear is filled with excuses. They are there when we need them and we reach for them far too often. Let's admit it, none of us wants to hear that our excuses are explaining away our laziness, self-doubt, and just giving up way too easy. Our excuses drive us to failure because they let us take the easy way out. By now, you should already have this memorized. Our main point for these, this series is the best defense against excuses is an offensive line of wise. The best defense against excuses is an offensive line of wise. Why? Why can't I choose to forgive them even if they don't deserve it? Why am I more concerned about what others think than what God thinks? Why is that activity more important than this activity? Why do I feel my needs are more important than other people's needs? Why haven't I changed? And why can't I trust God to ask for this? When we develop solid answers to these why questions, it will be the greatest defense to erasing these excuses. Now, just quickly, I want to recap the last two weeks to get you caught up. But again, if you haven't or you missed a service, you haven't listened, you can go online to marshallassembly.com, listen online there, or our podcast, uh, just search Marshall Assembly of God. But the first week, we answered three why questions. They were, why are you choosing not to forgive them regarding unforgiveness? Why are you waiting to forgive them? And why is it so important to forgive? And in order to forgive future offenses and to let go of past offenses, there are two things that need to change. We have to believe that God is in control of all our life, the good things and the bad. And you have to take them out from underneath your thumb and place them in God's hands. Then last week, we exposed the excuse, I can't give more, by learning a few key points. We all have something to give. If God asks for it, he'll provide for it. And we can trust that God knows what to do with what he asked us to give. Remember, giving is not about money, just about giving money. It's about sowing and reaping like I was just praying before the message here. If you sow mercy, you'll reap mercy. If you sow forgiveness, you're going to reap forgiveness. If you give kindness, you're going to receive kindness. And remember, with the same measure we use, according to Luke 6.38, it will be measured back to us. So if you're stingy, you'll receive stinginess. It, if you're bitter, you're going to receive bitterness. Grouchy, grouchy, you know, sowing and reaping. So this week, we're going to dig into the excuse, I can't tell that. Turn with me 
over to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. I've been going through the Old Testament in a chronological Bible. Um, and it just, for one thing, it seems like it takes so long to get through the Old Testament. But over and over again, you hear God speaking to his people, warning his people, speaking to his people, warning his people through the prophets, through these messengers um, to come on, come on, come on, get it right, get it right. You know what to do. Come on, what are you doing? They're encouraging, they're warning. And then it's like, okay, I warned you enough. Now this is going to happen. And you can just see over the Old Testament the heartbeat of the Father. I mean, really, as parents, isn't that the same thing we do? Come on, don't do that. Okay, now I warned you, don't do that. Now I want you to do this, so don't do that anymore. But if they continue to do that, what's the next action? It's time for punishment. Either I'm going to smack their little hand, pat their little butt, set them in a corner time out, whatever you do not, take their candy away from whatever you do. But it's like you warned them and you warned them and you warned them. And over the Old Testament, and going through the Old Testament, you see that just father heart of God, come on, encouraging and warning and pleading with them, don't do this, don't do this. Now, if, this, if you continue to do this, this is going to happen. And we pick up the same thing in Ezekiel 33, starting at verse 1, where again, the message came to me from the Lord, Ezekiel says. And he says, son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it will be their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. Oh, they will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. Verse 7. Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourselves. Let's pray. Father God, we just take time right now to dig into your word, and I ask by your Holy Spirit that you'll open our hearts to receive your word, to apply it to our lives, that we will be doers and not just hearers of your word. But God, let us hear your warning today. Let us heed your warning today. And let us take responsibility to do your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. As Christians, we are commanded to tell two things. We are commanded to tell others about God. And then in the New Testament, you'll see we're also commanded to tell, confess our sins to each other. I can't tell that. I can't tell people about God. Come on, God made preachers and evangelists to do that. I don't have to do that. I hear that all the time. Now, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he didn't give a great suggestion, and he didn't give it to some people. He gave it to all people, and he said for all to go. If you call yourself a Christian, you are commissioned to go into all the world and preach the good news. God made a bold statement here in the scripture we read. He said, if I tell you to go, which 
he has told us to go and tell the people about him. And we don't go. We're responsible if they die in their sins. If God told you to go speak to so-and-so and you say, I can't do that, I can't tell them that, you could be held responsible for that person if they die in their sins. That's a pretty bold statement. We have been commissioned to go. We have been told that we need to go and tell others about God. We have been commanded, commissioned, and we will be held responsible. Think about the person who will, I'm believing, find a cure for cancer by God's wisdom. What would you do if that person decided not to share it with anyone? What if that you heard on the news and all of a sudden you start turning the news channels from station to station and you, it, it's true, it's true. They have a cure for cancer. And this scientist gets up there and says, yes, we've tried it on every form of cancer and it does cure cancer. And then the news reporters holding their microphones to him says, okay, now what are you going to do with it? It's mine. I'm going to save it in case I ever get cancer. I have a cure. No matter what form, if I get it, I have a cure. Come on, what would you as a Christian want to do to that person? Okay, don't, don't verbalize that. I just had an evil thought myself. What would you want to do? How dare you not tell me? I remember old, old stories. I grew up in the church, so old, old stories. I don't even know. I, I couldn't even give you the details anymore of their names, but these stories always ring true, and I don't know if I heard it through one of those old songs or um, an old preacher that preached at one of the pulpits I, I was listening to. But I remember the story about the person who finally gets to heaven, the Christian, been a Christian all their life, all their life, finally gets to heaven, and he's standing in the line, and it's a beautiful, he gets looking in the people ahead of him, behind him, and they're all smiling and singing their little praise songs, and he notices, he, he hears every once in a while screams and shouts, and he, and he glances over, and there's, there's another line over on the other side, and he can't quite make out their faces, until one person escapes from the line and comes running up to him and falls down at his feet and says, you were my neighbor. I lived beside you for 35 years, and you never told me there was another line. You never told me there was another way. As guards came and drug him back away from him, put him back in the other line. You are, we are responsible to tell other people. How can we hold a cure for something that we don't want to share with somebody else? Would you really pass by a house that was engulfed in flames, hearing the cries of people inside? Would you ever consider doing that? No. Yet we hold the answer for an eternal hell, flame, consuming fire that cannot be doused, that cannot be quenched. And we hold the answer for their chance to get out of that. And yet we stick it in our pocket or put it on our shelves, pull it out, dust it off for ourselves once a week and think that as long as we're okay, the world must be okay. We are commanded, commissioned, and responsible to tell others. We must tell others. And we are commanded to confess our sins to each other. There's two sides of this coin. That's a hard one. Because we don't want anyone to know. Really. I mean, don't we really put on our best for Sunday morning? I mean, ladies, we do the hair, we do the makeup, we you know, get the right clothes and the outfit, and sometimes our beds are piled with all the wrong outfits that we tried on that morning, but when we come to church, we want to smell good, we want to look good, we want to we present our best. Well, guys kind of do that too. I know they don't always present as well as the ladies do when they think that they're in their best, but they want to 
do their best too. So you don't ever, well, I shouldn't say, I mean, I know of people who have, but most people don't want to pull back that curtain and let them, let somebody else see what they look like, you know, for real. Really, do we ever want to answer the doorbell when it rings before we even get ready in the morning? When we still have the bed head and the, the mascara from the night before on and, you know, in our sweatpants or whatever comfies that you wear that day? Do we want? No. So whenever I read that verse, confess your sins to each other, the first thing that pops in my mind is they can't handle. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? What are they going to do if I really showed them, right? Or if I really told them. But both these things we're talking about today, telling other people about God and confessing our sins to each other, are born in pride. Our inability, our excuse that we can't tell them that, whether it's telling a person about God or telling a brother or a sister in the Lord about confessing our sins to each other. Our reasons for not wanting to do that is born in pride. We don't want to look like a fool. <laughs> we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be known for anything but having it all together. So I want to dig just for a minute and what pride really is. Pride hides in many forms. Pride isn't limited to self-righteousness. Our pride can also be self-preoccupation. Being overly concerned with what others think of us and strongly desiring that others would think highly of us. Shyness. Shyness can result from proudly fearing saying something stupid, thinking extensively of how we look or act in public can come from a deep desire to impress others, which is pride. Constantly redirecting conversations to ourselves can be prideful. It's self-centeredness. The bottom line is that when we are proud, we think a lot about ourselves and a lot less about God. Pride manifests itself in so many subtle but lethal ways. In a hidden desire for the praise and admiration of men. An insistence on being right. The desire to be noticed and appreciated. A fear of rejection. Or just that preoccupation with my feelings my needs, my circumstances, my burdens, my desires, my successes, my failures, they are all fruits of that deadly root of pride. John Piper said, Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong, but self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. You don't have to be a strong person to be a prideful person. Pride carries not only a lofty self-centeredness, but also a lively competitiveness against others that easily becomes a lustful, destroying hostility. It is highly critical, envious, and impatient. And it can effortlessly... Be stirred to anger. It has a suspicion of always being taken advantage of. These characteristics are part of Satan's spirit, and each of them is destructive to your family and destructive to the church. Now, righteousness is the very thing that pride sets itself to resist. With God's own word, describing man's life as merely a breath 
certainly makes one wonder what we really have to be proud of. When you start to feel pride rise up in you, whether it's a a shyness, a self-pity, whatever it is, or just a proud you want people to think highly of you, think everything I have, the hairs on my head or the lack of hairs on my head, the, the breath in my lungs is all because of God. And so the first thing, when you start to feel that welling up in you, whatever it is, give God praise. Even if it's in the middle of a conversation that has nothing to do with whatever they were talking about, but you start to feel something and you just say, you know, isn't God great? Look at the beautiful sky. Look at the rain outside. I know we don't like to stand in the rain, but man, he just knows how to make it rain at just the right time. Start giving praise and glory to God, turning the conversation. Maybe you're already into the conversation and you realize God's spirit starts poking at your heart. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's what I always get. I always get that interrupting me in the middle of a conversation. Uh, You're talking a lot about yourself. What about God? You know what? It doesn't matter. what It doesn't matter. God is in control. I trust God's in control. He has everything all planned out and just go into praising, thanking God. Get your eyes off men, yourself included, and get your eyes on God. You have to stop pride at its first step. Remember that foot in that door. The devil can't get a stronghold until he first has a foothold. When he starts to stick his foot in the door, cut those little toes off. Get your eyes off, men. Matthew 10, 28 says, don't be afraid of those who just want to kill your body. And we're not even there yet, really. I mean, have we even suffered for Jesus to the point of shedding blood yet? No. I believe it's coming to America. I believe in some parts, I've read articles, in some parts it's already here. But widespread, it's not here yet. So really, what do we have to be fearful? What can man do to us? It says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Then he goes on in verse 32 to say, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. These are red letters. Jesus said this. Then he goes on in verse 33 that, that says, But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. I don't want to live my whole life as a secret service Christian and get to heaven to hear Jesus say, who are you? What? I asked you to tell this, and you couldn't tell this about me? I asked you to go to so-and-so, and you couldn't go to so-and-so? You are embarrassed to speak of me, and you want me to be proud to speak to my father about you? I don't want to hear that. I want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful for, with little, the little things I gave you. Now enter in. To everything my, my Father has for you. We must stand and take a stand against pride in our lives by resolving to be more concerned with what God thinks of us than what man thinks or might think of us. Let me just say might think of us. Because the more I counsel with um, husbands and wives marriage counseling, I've learned, if, if I had to put statistics together, that it's got to be close to 90% of the time a husband, a spouse, thinks the other spouse is thinking this or that in a certain situation. 90% of the time, they're wrong. And if spouses are supposed to know each other the most, the the closest relationship. I should know 
what he's, and there's times I've looked at Brian and I've said, I'm, I know what you're thinking. And I don't know if he does it on purpose, but I'll say what I think he's, and he'll go, well, that's not what I was thinking. Or if he's really not thinking that. But 90% of the time, we're wrong as spouses, and we're the closest with our spouse. And so if we can't even, with accuracy, presume what our spouses might be thinking, why do we try to assume what others might think of us? If we have to assume anything, why do we always assume negative things? Why do we always assume they're going to think negatively about me? So if we've got to guess, why don't we assume they're going to think positively of me? I mean, if we've, we really, like I said, we need to take a stand against pride. We need to be more concerned with what God thinks of us than what others might think of us. But even if it's that 10% that's still in the back of our mind that we want people to think well of us, then think well that they're thinking well. Think positively that they're thinking positively about you. Don't always assume that it's something negative because 90% of the time you're going to be wrong. We can't assume to know what others are thinking about us, but we do know what God will think of us. We do know that. He's made it pretty clear in his word. Do this or I'll do this. You know what he's thinking. So looking at the why question, I'm sorry, did I just jump into all that? Yeah, so that was the first why question. Why are we more concerned with what other people will think than what God thinks about us? We need to get our eyes off, our, off men and on to God. Number two why question. Why do we think others don't want to hear what we have to say? This is just another form of pride. Shyness, a fear of rejection. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. The New Living Translation says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. The Amplified and concordances go on to include shyness, uh, you know, it's that timid spirit. God did not give that to us. Power, love, self-discipline. So why do we think that people don't want to hear what we have to say? Again, this is an assumption on our part. So why assume negative? So why assume that they don't want to hear what you have to say? When God tells you to go tell this person, he tells you what to say. And that's going into the third why question here. I'll talk to you about it in just a second. I, I don't want to skip this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.20. God has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. So why wouldn't people want to hear what you have to say? You have been appointed as an ambassador. Making, God is making his appeal through us. And our final question, why can't we trust God to tell us what to say? So sure, people might give you the eyes rolled over when you start going on and on and on about you, 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 you. Right? Let's just be honest. But when you start speaking something of God, their eyes and their eyebrows perk up. What? What? What do you have to say? Especially when we're doing what I want to encourage you to do right now, and that's listen to God. 
Listen to God in every conversation that you're having with whoever and wherever you're at. Listen to God because he has something he wants to say. And if you listen to him, he will tell you what to say. In Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 16, it says, Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts. You will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. You're going to get stuck in situations you never dreamed you were going to get into. But God said, don't worry, it's an opportunity for you to tell others about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Listen to God in all your conversations, in every place you go. I've told you before, when I'm pumping gas, I look around. I don't just tune out. I look around. God, is there anybody here that you want to speak to? And wait and listen. I mean, you'll feel it. You'll hear it. You'll be directed toward a person. And you might walk up to somebody and say, you know what, this doesn't make sense to me, but I really believe God is telling me to tell you yes. Does it, I, I don't know what that means. Oh, Brenda, that's crazy. No, that's God. If you listen, he will direct you. I mean, you ever want to hear some crazy stories, talk to Kevin. Kevin and his brothers and his brother-in-laws, right? They go out all the time and they do what's called treasure hunting and, and things like that where they just stand. Isaiah's done it and with groups and friends of ours from Charlotte where they just go out into the malls or whatever and they just stand there and they begin to pray, God, show us somebody. Tell us something. Show us somebody. Tell us something. And God will direct them to individuals. And they'll walk up. I don't know. I, it, it sounds crazy to me, but I really believe God is telling me, yes, to tell you, yes. Does that make sense? And next thing you know, the person's crying. I was just crying out to God in the bathroom that, you know, God, if I could just hear your voice, if I could just hear an answer, am I supposed to do this or am I not supposed to do this? And why is it I always feel like I, I'm praying and praying and you're never answering? And you were the one person that said one word because you listened to God and you said what he told you to say. God will tell you what to say. You listen all you have to do is listen. I mean, I've, I've showed a couple of you this morning as you was coming in, the newspaper article. Last Sunday, we prayed about it. I had been fasting and praying. The newspaper found out we were getting ready to do this music in the park and that, you know, five of us churches were gathering together, coming together to do this music in the park to show people we love God and and to love on our community together as a, as a body of believers. And when the newspaper found out about it and they wanted to do an interview, of course, all the negative things started going through my mind. Oh, man, they're going to ask questions. They're going to take our statements out of context. They're going to record, you know, decisive statements about us in the newspaper. Or they're going to mock us. You know, I, my mind just started going crazy. And I started having to just lay it down. God, I'm not going to be tormented by this. This is an opportunity, and I confess that good things are going to happen from this. So I went into fasting and praying, asked you to pray last Sunday that God would just put a spirit of unity amongst us five pastors that when the reporter came and sat down with us, and as soon as she walked in, I just felt a peace that 
that God's in control. You know, did everything presume positively in my mind right away? No. Negative thoughts wanted to take over right away, but I had to keep putting them under my foot. No, I believe. I believe, God, you're going to, the right word. And I mean, over and over again, pastor after pastor that was answering her question was just in unity with each other. And I, I mean, you got to read the article. If you haven't read it, you got to grab a hold of it. Um, but they did a wonderful job showing that we are coming together as a community that we are banding together to love God publicly and to love on our community. So I was completely encouraged that we prayed, we listened, and we obeyed, and we said the things that God wanted us to say. God will cause our lives to intersect with others in ways we can't understand. Whether at the gas station, or the grocery store, or the coffee shop, or at your work. But our job, our responsibility is not to know why, but to simply listen to God to tell us what to say. And we will be held responsible for telling them. We are commanded, commissioned, and held responsible for telling others about God and for telling, confessing our sins to each other. And they're both ways we need to put pride underfoot. That's how we keep pride underfoot. That's how we keep pride broken in our lives, by stepping out of our comfort zone, putting down what we think other people will think about us, and telling them about God, telling them about the answer, or going to our brother and sister in the Lord and saying, you know, this is going on in my life right now. You know, I, I've always had an issue with pornography, and for some reason I thought I had control of this. My mind just keeps racing back to those images, and I can't get them out of my head. Would you please pray with me? Hold me accountable to that. Hold me accountable to that. So your excuse, I can't tell that, Yes, you can. Remember, you need to be more concerned about what God thinks about you than what others might think about you. And God has appointed you to be his ambassadors. We speak for God. And if we will listen to God, he will always give us the right words to say at the right time. I want to close today um, by just sharing another thing. Of course, music on the, in the park is on my heart because it's coming up this Saturday. Uh, John, who is the worship pastor over at Family Bible Church last week sometime, um, sent me a Facebook message, and it was a video link to their Sunday's message. Well, they did their service. Family Bible Church did their service outside last Sunday. And so I thought, oh, that's nice. He's sending that to me. And he says, oh, hey, fast forward to such and such spot in the video. Dad, his dad is the pastor there, says something about music in the park you might enjoy. So I'm like, oh, thanks for the video. And didn't watch it, didn't watch it, didn't watch it until um, Friday, I think it was. Friday night I sat there. And I thought, oh, yeah, I never watched that video. So I went on Facebook and opened up the video that John sent me. And I just, I wept like a baby. Because it's really happening. Two years we've been praying. Two years we've been praying that, you know, we could get outside of our four walls to unite with other churches to really be our, the witnesses, the, the epistles, the, the love of God, tangible love of God for this community as bodies of believers crossing, you know, denominational walls and just tearing them down and just showing God. We love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we do love other people, our neighbors. And I want to show you this video, and I clipped it out, so just that part he shares about music in the park, because he challenged his congregation. And just the words that he said, I thought, I can't, I, I'm not even going, I'm not even going to try to say how he said it. I want to show you what he said. So Kevin, if you play that video for us. 
What is it you want us to do to take that step of faith? Now, I'll share that with you this morning because every once in a while there's a challenge that comes our way to take a step of faith. And the challenge today really has come from five local pastors. And these five local pastors are saying that it's time that Marshall has a change in it. And it's time that we do something different in Marshall. And these five local pastors, you heard about it this morning, have come together in a sense are picking up the Ark of the Covenant and are saying, we're going to take a step of faith. We're committing the funds. We're committing ourselves to do something to bring the Christian community back together in Marshall. Because you know what? When new pastors come into this community, they're kind of appalled. They're appalled that the churches don't cooperate in anything. They're appalled that the ministers don't get together. There is no active ministerial association. Usually they say, I've heard things like this from some of the pastors, and when I meet them, I've never been in a community where there's no active Christian community. And that's what it is in Marshall. And we're taking this step of faith, and on this music in the park thing, we're saying, okay, let's come together. One of our new pastors in town felt so, Brenda felt down at first, the Marshall Assembly God felt so moved by God to do this. She called us together and said, let's do this thing. And so we're picking it up, and we're, we've got this thing set up at Stewart Landing for us to come together to show the love that we should have amongst ourselves in Christianity. God said, love your neighbor as you love yourself and to show our love for God and show our love for our community and to come together. But you know what? If we are the five pastors who pick up that Ark of the Covenant and we walk through that water, but none of the people follow, we've missed the mark. And that we have to understand that maybe this is the first step for God to move in a great way in our community. And I would like to see God move in Marshall, Michigan. Would you? That wasn't a very good amen, would you? I would like to see God move. But you know what? It's not going to happen just because some pastors have an idea. It's when the people move. It's when the people will follow and the people get on board. And the community sees that this isn't four or five people. This is a congregation of people that can look beyond their doctrinal differences, can look beyond other things and say, we love Jesus. We love him. And we're coming together to love him as well. And so the challenge is that someone like Moses stood up and he challenged those priests and he challenged the people and he said, you got to cross over. You got to cross over. You know, sometimes that creates fear. They were fearful of the people on the other side. But crossing over built their faith. And what is God going to do with this music in the park? So we need everybody to be praying for good weather. We need everybody to be praying. And some things are already happening. When Brenda went down and told them at Charlie's Restaurant, you may have seen this in the paper, that, what, that um, um, we were having this thing. And she just took a chance on it, went down there and spoke to them. And they said they liked what they heard. And our church was supposed to be responsible for preparing some food, some hot dogs and stuff. And Charlie's Restaurant has come on board and said they're going to come down there and they're going to give away free bratwurst and free chili and make it available to people. All we have to do is help them assist them to do that. And so they're getting behind it. They're already people saying yes to this. And the question is, will the congregation get behind it? Will you be there? And it's not only music, there's going to be games for the kids, there's going to be giveaways. By the way, if you go, make sure you register because these giveaways are significant that we're, we're just doing it, just giving away. And there's going to be a grand prize that's going to be worth several hundred dollars that's going to be given away. And just to come together and to love on one another and to be a part of it. So make sure that you register as well. So we're taking this step of faith. And we're also taking a step of faith because one week later, on October 4th, we're asking the churches, not the ministers, the churches, to come together for one hour for worship and prayer in one of our churches. And that's the first one is going to be in Marshall Assembly. The second one 
is going to be right here at Family Bible Church. That's going to be on November um, 1st. And we're going to hear a devotional from one of the other ministers, and our praise team will be playing. And then in December, we're going to do another one at the Methodist Church. And I'm going to be doing the devotional at that one, and their praise team is going to be playing. But we're asking for one hour to put our trust and our faith in God and ask God to move in our community. And I'll tell you, personally, I feel that Marshall needs the Spirit of God to move in it. I feel personally that the state of Michigan does, and so does the United States of America. We complain a lot, but are we willing to be the army that brings about change? And so I, that's my challenge to you. Will you follow? Will you take the step of faith? Will you be a part? God is blessing in many ways. And so I just ask you to consider what God would have you to do. And I want to ask you a question. Do you want to see God move in our community? If so, let me see it. Let me hear it. Amen. Let me hear it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we really, really need that. And that means that we have to be willing to move as well. So I just want to pray and ask God's help with this, okay? Would you join me? Father, this is uh, something that I didn't even imagine a month ago. And the ball is rolling. I thank you for those who have taken leadership in it. And I thank you for those who will respond and pray that there would be a covering of good weather, that it would be a great experience as the others look upon this, the news media and everything. Lord, may we represent you well and walk in faith, Lord, in your way. May we learn to love one another and those who love you. And God, present the community, Lord, that is in love with you. And so, Father, we don't know what you're going to do with this, but, Lord, we, we do know and really feel, I feel it in my heart, you want us to take a step. And then you'll show us the next step, as you always do. And so, God, we just ask that your help and your blessing and things will go smoothly for your honor and your glory. And we ask you, God, to move in the hearts of the churches in Marshall, to move in the hearts and the lives of those who don't attend church here. And God, that we would see a revival take place in our community. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Music in the park is giving us the opportunity to step outside of our four walls and go tell others. I'm so excited about this opportunity. I'm so excited about what's stirring in the hearts of these other pastors and what's stirring in the heart of us. And we've been talking about it for the last two years that, you know, I, I said it in the article and, you know, she asked me, she goes, well, how many people do you, do you think are coming to the music in the park? I said, think that are coming? Well, I'd like to think there's going to be 300 coming. I said, and then I'd like to think that the next year, that there's so many that's going to be there this year that we're going to have to move to the fairgrounds and we're just going to fill up the fairgrounds. And Mike Donahue came up to me, I, I think it was a, a week ago or so, and as soon as I said that, I remembered what he had told me, that there was a person in his church who had a vision, that God showed them something that, there was this great revival that broke out at the fairgrounds, and it was because all these churches came together. And they had a new grandstand. She said, I remember looking, and I looked to the side, and she goes, the grand I haven't even been over in the grandstand, so I don't know what the grandstand, but I guess they were old, but they've just been redone or are redoing them. And she, she told um, Mike, her pastor, she goes, I don't remember... I couldn't see the faces of the people that were up on the stage, but I knew that they were from different churches, but they were all standing shoulder to shoulder. So as soon as I said that to, that, to the reporter, that, that filled my heart again that this, this could actually happen. You know, isn't that what we feel like when, when we start stepping out in faith and, you know, little ground, little step, little ground, little step, we hear God telling us, we can do this, we can do this, and then when we start 
actually doing it, we're like, God, we can do this. He's like, yeah, I've been telling you that all this time. To get more and more excited about it, God is doing good things, big things in our lives, in our community, in our church. And we're just on the, just on the edge of it. And we are going to see huge things, but we have to pray. We have to be responsible to go and tell what God's telling us. And remember to keep pride. I think that's why that's so big. I, I remember putting the finishing touches on, on the message last night thinking, God, it feels like there's about four or five messages all wrapped in one, like I've got all these different rabbit trails. But they're all connected. Because when God starts moving, people start elevating, being elevated, and it can cause them to fall because they don't give glory back to God. Pride will take root, and they will fall. All their endeavors, all the stuff that God wanted to do can fall because they accepted that glory for themselves and pride. So I believe that the, the call to us to tell others, to confess our sins to others, is number one, to get that root of evil out of our personal lives quickly. So it has no place in our lives. We'll confess our sins with each other, we be held accountable for each other, keep that down. But also as God starts moving the church and we're responsible to tell other people and he starts opening doors and big things start happening and music in the park happens and we're exploding and, and all of a sudden we're starting to be, God's honor is starting to be lifted up in Marshall Assembly of God and United Methodist and all these things start happening that the community looks at us that we don't accept any of the glory for ourselves but we quickly give it back to God keep that root of pride out of our lives, out of our churches. Nowhere to be found. Give all glory quickly back to God. So what I want to do is as we close right now, I want us to pray. We're going to come together. We're going to pray for music in the park. Um, like Pastor Richard mentioned, we want to pray for good weather. I saw it on the news this morning. I said, amen, I'll take that. 77 degree weather's coming Saturday and don't even begin to let those negative thoughts run in your mind about the weatherman's always wrong. That, put that out of your mind. I'll take that. Amen. 77 degree weather. Sunny. All sunshine. I'll take that. We're going to pray for good weather. We're going to pray that God will bring in the people he wants there. I'm hoping for the whole community. And that churches will show their love for each other. And that the churches will all show their love for the community so that we don't just talk amongst ourselves when we show up, but we go immediately to those people we've never seen before that don't have, because we'll have little stickers on us that just says volunteer, music in the park, volunteer. That way, if people who are coming will know who to go up to, hey, where do I go do this or that, they'll know. That's all. It's not going to say a church name. It's just going to say music in the park, volunteer. Now, the pastors might have lanyards on just so that if somebody needed to grab a pastor, they could quickly pick out, that's, that's a pastor, and grab that pastor or whatever. Um, but that we'll go, it, if, and while we're there, if we look around and see a group of uh, labeled volunteers all stand in in a huddle, go encourage them to go talk to people without the little sticker on their chest. Go talk to those people over there. Go love on them. Go see if you can do something for them. Go see if you can get food for them. Um, bring extra chairs with you that day so in case somebody shows up without a lawn chair, you can give them yours. Um, we emptied out our garage last year. I, I'm prepared to do the same. We'll bring all the lawn chairs we have and set them all up. I had people asking me last year, whose chairs are those? I said, that's your chair right there. Got your I know that has your name on it somewhere. Just go ahead and sit down right there. I put it right in the front row, right for you. So set up extra chairs. Encourage people. Love on people. Love our community. And listen for God to tell you what to say. Just the right word at just the right time. So I want us to pray for um, music in the park. But I don't want you to neglect the opportunity today. If you need to talk to somebody, men with men, women with women, and confess something and, and ask, will you pray for me? I need to repent of this whatever, thought, thing, whatever it is. Um,
pray for each other and hold them, help them, hold them accountable. Because the scripture says, when you confess your sins to each other, then you will be healed. Then you will be healed. All right, so let's do that. Kevin, I ask that you um, just pick out a song for the altar call, just something real low, um, not much. Get up. I want you to get boisterous in the next just couple minutes. We're going to pray again for good weather, for God to bring in the people. Churches will love each other. We'll also love on our community and pray that God will give you a word for people that you'll come in contact with at Music in the Park. And for every day. You should be praying that every day. So let's get around, gather around. Let's just pray for Music in the Park for a couple minutes, and then I'll come back up and close in prayer. Yes, God. Yes, God, we just come together, Lord, and we do. We lift up music in the park before you, Lord. We know that you're in control. We know that you've prepared the hearts of these pastors to come together, Lord, that you're um, speaking through us, Lord, to speak to our congregations, to speak to their hearts, unite their hearts, that we would all be united together with one heart, one mind, one soul, one purpose to give you all the glory to show this community that we love you, God, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves, as you've commanded us, commissioned us to. And God, I do pray that great testimonies will come from this event from the workers that show up from Charlie's restaurant to whoever, the strangers, people that live around the park, fishers, whoever show up, the motorcycle drivers that will come, Lord, that testimonies will come from this because they experienced your love because they saw your love in action at this event. God, I pray also for that following Saturday as we begin these common ground services that you'd continue to speak to our hearts, to encourage us, Lord, to love. To love like you want us to love. To pray for, to commit to. Lifting others above ourselves, lifting others' needs above our own needs. To encourage each other, brothers and sisters in the Lord, like iron sharpens iron, to go deeper, go farther, fall in love with you more. And to be your epistles, known and read by all, but to represent you well. In everything we do, not just on Sunday mornings and service inside these four walls, but everywhere we go, whether we're pumping gas or, or picking up a coffee or whatever, or at work, or changing a flat tire, whatever we're doing, whatever the situation, God, help us to know you are calling, commissioning, and commanding us to go tell others about you. We're responsible. We're responsible for that. Help us to quickly keep pride underfoot by confessing to each other, by telling each other our sins in a way that we'll repent of them and be held accountable. And that we're always quick to give you all the glory. Lord, as we're telling others about you. Have your way in our lives, 
in this church and in this community and in this community of churches. Have your way. Be glorified in everything we say and everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.